in this series for quite some time now. Uh, we took a little break during Advent, uh, but we decided to come back to this after Christmas just to kind of catch you up to speed on where we're at. You know, long story short, God had given the people of Israel what they wanted, which was a king. So king Saul comes into the picture, but through his choices and his outright rebellion against God and his word, we see God choose another man, a man after God's own heart. And he anoints David, who is yet to be king, but he's sort of the king-elect, right? In much, the, much of the same way that we run our presidential elections here in the States. But over the course of circumstances and more events, Saul gets jealous and wants to kill, wants to kill and murder David. Now, he tries to do it somewhat deceptively, but he finally comes to a place where he realizes he's just no longer going to hide it. And so in chapter 19, two weeks ago, or in two chapters earlier, he just makes it clear he's out to kill David. David must die. But in that situation, God gives David a friend. And we looked at that last week, right? That in a time of need, God doesn't change circumstances, and we can relate to that, but God gives David a friend, a friend that's committed, that is faithful. And that is what the balm that David needs to be able to face the adversity and trials of a king that wants to murder him. Now, as Jonathan and David say farewell, because it's pretty clear Saul wants to kill him, David flees. And that's where we come to in this passage this morning in chapter 21. Now, we're going to look at chapter 21. I initially wanted to look at chapters 21 through 23, and I prepared for that. But yesterday, as I was going through it, I'm like, oh man, this is like a 50-minute sermon. So unless all of you here want a 50-minute sermon, I, I decided we just choose, I uh, focus in on 21 for our passage today. And we'll skip the next couple of chapters. Read it on your own this week if you have a chance. But uh, next Sunday, Pastor John will preach on chapter 24. But today we'll look at chapter 21 uh, in the wilderness that David experiences. So let me pray for us as we do. Lord, we give you thanks this morning that we have really the opportunity and the privilege to hear your word freely. So Lord, I pray that you would give us humble, humble hearts. Whether we are followers of Jesus or maybe we're here sort of investigating and trying to figure things out about faith and spirituality, Lord, even then pray that you would also give us humble hearts to be able to learn and to be ultimately transformed by the good news of Jesus. We pray all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As I thought about David in the wilderness, I came to a conclusion that the wilderness for me has been one of beauty, but also one of danger. And let me just explain. My first time that I ever experienced the wilderness, I was in third grade. I know some of us might be around that age in third grade, or you remember the times when you were in third grade. But I had the opportunity with a bunch of third grade boys our children's pastor back in California took us out into the wilderness in Big Bear Lake, Big Bear Mountain in California. And it was a one week long expedition in the wild, just with our children's pastor and a bunch of boys. I don't remember how many boys, but there were enough boys. And we went out there and I absolutely loved it. I loved it. I mean, everything from campfires to stories at night, to uh, the bonfires, and 
Even this, we got to my, our children's pastor, you know, times have changed, but our children's pastor brought his shotgun and we got to shoot cans with his shotgun. I mean, I remember just how painful that was on my shoulder. But as a third grade boy, we were hiking, experiencing the beauty of God's creation and nature. It was fabulous. But there was another side to the wilderness of being out there. There was this experience of danger, thinking that I was going to die. Because at nighttime, you heard things that you never heard in the suburbs. And I really thought that I was going to die every single night that we would sleep in our tent. Creatures that I never heard of, howling, and little bugs and insects that I did not like. And I kid you not, I'm not making this up, but during that one-week expedition in the wilderness, a ranger came to our site and said, you must leave now because a mountain lion has killed somebody and we need every single human being outside of Big Bear. I mean, think about as a third grade boy what that does to you. And so I truly understood the wilderness being one of beauty, but also one of true danger and unpredictability. Now, why do I share that this morning? This morning, as we look at this story, David finds himself in the wilderness. And it's not because he chose to go out into the wilderness like I did. He wasn't out there taking beautiful pictures of wildflowers and wild animals and of beautiful sunsets. He was running for his life. Saul was after him. And as he says his farewells to Jonathan, he runs to find some sort of relief and safety. That's what we come to here. And though we're just focusing on chapter 21, from this chapter on to the end of 1 Samuel, there are 15 wilderness stories through the rest of this 1 Samuel book. 15 wilderness stories. Here in chapter 21 that we'll read, there's just two. But over and over again, as we'll see here in today's chapter, we learn over and over again that God is a God of providence. That despite, and despite the wilderness experiences, God's providence, providence is certain for David. Now, what is providence? Well, I decided to look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's our set of beliefs and doctrines that we hold to, and it's the catechism here that explains what providence is. And this is what is described for us to be able to articulate and at least hold on to something. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. This is what we believe here at Restoration, that God is providential. And even in the wilderness, in the midst of beauty and the danger and what is truly danger for David, God's providence is certain for him, and it is certain for us. Whatever wilderness figuratively Metaphorically, you are going through today, you have gone through in the past, you will go through in the future. Those wilderness journeys that we go through, what we can be certain about is that God's providence is always present for us. And so I just want us to look at just a couple of ways as we look at this story, how we learn and what we learn about God's providence. So read along with me. We'll take a little break here in the middle And we'll kind of stop to pause and think about God's providence. But start with me here in verse 1, and we'll read up to verse 9. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, 
And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to him, Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I made an appointment with the young men for such an such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an extra or when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Now stop there for a moment. What's going on? So we see David have to flee from Saul immediately right away in haste, right? That much is true. He had no time to spare because Saul was after him. And so he runs and flees from the king's court into the wilderness with just the shirt on the back, on his back. And so he's thinking, where do I go to? And it's here at Nob because Nob was the priestly city. It was a sanctuary city. It was where all the priests resided because that's where the tabernacle was at this time. And so David thought, if I'm going to find some sort of relief, some sort of, some sort of safety and protection, I need to go to Nob. And so he goes to Nob and he finds Ahimelech, the priest there. But Ahimelech is fearful. Did you see that? He was shaking. Why? Because here's David. Now David, his, his reputation precedes him. He is one of Saul's great men and warrior, but he's alone. Ahimelech is smart enough to know that David would never travel alone. He's going to have tons of soldiers around him, but he walks alone. And so Ahimelech being smart goes, why are you alone here? And what does David do? He lies. He says, oh, I am here on this top secret mission that Saul sent me on and no one is with me and my men are coming and they'll meet me later. And so he tells this lie and he says, but what I need from you, Ahimelech, is food. Do you have any bread? And Ahimelech says, we don't have any ordinary bread, but we have the bread of presence, the holy bread. And what was that? Well, basically what it was, was in, in Leviticus, you read about it, they would always, the priest would always set 12 loaves of bread and they describe it, that hot bread. They would put 12 loaves of bread in the tabernacle. Why? Because it would be God's presence for them, reminding that he always provides for them. And after the Sabbath, who gets that old bread? The priests who serve God. And so this was their sustenance. It was their way of eating. And so God would give them as a mercy to the priests only. But what does Ahimelech do? He gives David the bread that was only designated for priests. And, and Jesus actually talks about that. 
When he's with the disciples, the disciples are walking in the field and they start eating the grain, right? And the Pharisees, Pharisees see this. And what do the Pharisees say? They're like, Jesus, why are you allowing your disciples to break the Sabbath? And what does Jesus say? He refers to David about how the priest, though that bread wasn't, wasn't for David, the priest gave it anyway. Why? Because it was mercy. And so then, as the priest gives David the bread, what happens? He's, David then asks, I need a sword. And it's a weird question to ask for a sword in the sanctuary city where the priest resided. But he asked for a sword, for protection, because he knows this is going to be a long journey. Scholars say this was about a 10-year wilderness journey for David. 10 years in the wilderness. And as David, in the wilderness, he realized, I need protection. And guess what? Lo and behold, the priests in the city of Nob have Goliath's sword. Now just think about it. This is a side, side note. But when we're talking about providence and we're talking about wilderness, think about what David must have thought and felt when he saw Goliath's sword. The imagery, the smell of being in the Valley of Elah, of how God was faithful to his people and to David in such dire situations when everyone was afraid. God delivered the people of Israel from the hands of the Philistines, namely Goliath. And he sees that sword. And in the wilderness, David must think, wow, God is faithful. God has been faithful. God has been providential in my life and in the people's life. And he takes it. He takes this sword. Now, what do we see here about God's providence here in this portion of this story? This is the first morally ambiguous, suspect thing that David does. He lies. He doesn't just lie about the bread or when he asks why you've come here, but he also lies again when he asks for the sword. He says, well, I'm on the king's business and I went in haste so I didn't have my weapon. He lies twice here. And this won't be the last time David lies, right? This isn't going to be the last time he is morally suspect and ambiguous about following the law of God. The Bible definitely tells us David was not perfect. He murders. He sleeps with another, another man's wife. David was not perfect. The Bible never even says here and in many other places whether what David did was wrong or right in lying to Ahimelech. But here's the thing. David lies, but he still gets his daily bread. David lies, but still gets his daily bread and his protection. Isn't that such a beautiful picture of the gospel truths in what Christians hold to? It's not about what we've done. It's not about what we haven't done. It's despite us. It's in spite of us that God graciously lavishes us with his providence in our lives. It's favor unearned and it's favor undeserved. This is at the heart of the Christian faith. This is what one commentator or scholar said. He said, when everything is scraped down to the bone, I receive my daily bread not because I'm godly, but because Yahweh is gracious. It's not because we're godly. It's not because we're morally suspect even. But it's because Yahweh is gracious. He's loving. He gives us unmerited favor. And he does that for David. He protects him. He gives him his daily bread. 
We don't receive grace from God because we deserve it or because we've earned it. We receive goodness and provision because he loves us. And this love changes us and transforms us slowly. And it is this love of God that is offered to people like us, liars and fakes, people who are canceled and are broken. God's providence is for all. So David gets what he needs, exactly what he needs, even despite of his moral culpability. But what happens? He flees. Read along with me in verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this king David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Now think about what's going on here. David flees the priestly city. And where does he go to? He goes to the city of Gath. Now we've taken a long break and so maybe you don't remember why Gath is so significant. But where did Gath, who came from the city of Gath? Goliath. Goliath came from Gath. Now anyone in their right mind would, or not anyone, but David in his right mind should never have gone to Gath. Why? He is public enemy number one. What did he do? He struck down their prized possession, their greatest warrior in the history, not only of the Philistines, but of the entire kingdoms of that time. David beat him. And when David goes into the city, they, they know immediately who he is. His reputation has preceded him. They, he, they know that he is the most wanted man in Gath and in Philistia. And so they not only know of him, but they've even heard the folk songs of how he, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed 10,000. They've known about this man, and he steps into their city. Talk about making bad decisions, Right? And David does that. We don't know why. We have no idea why. The author, the writer doesn't tell us. But talk about a bad decision. This is one of them. And despite such a bad decision, God is providential in his life. And if you think his idea was bad enough to go into the city, look at what he does when he is so afraid. He acts like a madman. Spit is coming down his beard. He's scratching walls. He's just acting absolutely like a lunatic. He is an absolute fool, David is. The one that we put on a pedestal many times. The one that a man after God's own heart isn't only morally ambiguous and fallen and broken, but he is a fool. He's a fool for going into this city and he is afraid, much afraid, the author writes. Do you know that? That this is the one and only time David is noted as saying that he is afraid. Besides being afraid of God, Yahweh, he is afraid this and 
one and only time in the circumstances of people or what's going around him. He fought Goliath. He got a javelin or a spear thrown at him by the king, Saul. He fought Philistines and other nations, leading them in battle, and he was never recorded as being afraid. But here, he is much afraid. The one and only time. And in his fear, he acts so foolish. So foolish. And I think we can relate to that, can't we? When we are afraid, where do we go to? What do we do? I'm sure each and every single one of us here can name many, many accounts of where we have acted foolishness in our fear. And despite of our foolishness, in the midst of the fear, God is still providential towards David. He is kind and he is gracious and he protects him. He does not die, but Achish, out of some weird, he says, we have way too many crazy people here. So let's not kill him, let's just send him off. And Achish sends him off. God is providential. You see his providence at the center of David's life. He protects him. He preserves him here in this story. It's, a, it's just flabbergasting that despite of all of his human limitations and his brokenness, God is providential. And here's what's so interesting. David, despite of his moral ambiguity, Despite of his foolishness, he's able to look back at this and realize God's providence in his life. You know why I can say that? Just in this chapter, he writes two songs talking about his time in Gath in Achish. Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. He talks about this time, this moment when he was so much afraid that he was going to die. When he was in enemy territory, he looks back at that story despite of his, his own issues, his own failure, his own brokenness. He sees and recognizes God's providence. Let me just read you a portion of Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I mean, in the wilderness, when he is so afraid, he's able to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He realizes that God is his refuge. And then in Psalm 56, I won't read the whole thing, but in verse 4, do you know what he says? When I was afraid, or when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. He recognizes God's providence over him. And in his fear and in his limitations, he puts his trust in Yahweh. Where do we put our trust in when we are afraid? When we are in the wilderness? When you find out that a mountain lion has killed somebody? Where do you run to? Where do you find your refuge in? I know I could list a million things of where I put my trust in that is not Yahweh, the Lord our God. But here we're called to put our trust in Yahweh, God himself. I know we've started this year wanting to encourage every single one of our church members 
to start this Bible reading plan that we've begun on January 1st. It's not too late. There's no shame here. I've already skipped a few. Don't worry. But as we've started this Bible reading plan, this past week, one of the chapters we read was Genesis 22. And if you remember, that was when Abraham, our, our early father, he was called by God to sacrifice his son, his only son, his one and only son, Isaac. And as, I, as Abraham is called to this crazy, crazy call of faith to sacrifice his one and only son, they take their road up to the mountain, which in, you could argue was his journey, his wilderness journey up to the mountain. And he displays this amazing faith. Why? Because when the servants of him stop, and it's only Isaac and Abraham that goes up to the rest of the way so that he could be sacrificed on the altar, he tells his servants, my son and I, we will be back. And whatever kind of faith that was, it was this beautiful, quiet, strong faith that he had that God was going to provide. Whatever that was going to be, whether it was going to resurrect his son, whether it was going to be in some other miraculous way, Abraham had this faith. And they go up to the mountain, and as he lays his son on the altar, and he's about to sacrifice him, what does God do? God calls out and says, stop. I have provided for you another animal, a ram. And after they worship and sacrifice the ram, do you know what Abraham calls that place? On top of this mountain, that place is called the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. I don't know where you are in your journey. Maybe you are right smack dab in the wilderness, but do you trust that the Lord will provide? We have the greatest picture of what that provision looks like. We can put our trust in Yahweh. Why? Because he has provided for us his only son, Jesus. And he was perfect and faithful to the end in the midst of his own wilderness journey here, wasn't he? He was faithful through all of his experiences of hardship and suffering, of hunger and of thirst, of temptations and betrayal. He never once did commit any moral ambiguity or failure. He never made one bad decision or showed any foolishness. He never feared. He was completely and fully faithful until the end. Even when death stared him right in the face, he went to the cross for us. Out of his love for us. Because he is for us. Nothing is against us, as Romans 8 tells us. When he gave up his only son, what else do we have to worry about? His providence is center in our lives in the midst of the wilderness of whatever journey you are on. Trust in him. That is our call this morning. Put your faith in him because he has given us everything we need himself. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your providence in our lives. Though sometimes we don't see it, sometimes we are completely blind to it, but Lord, whether that's true or not, your, your providence is at the center not only of David's life, but of ours. So we thank you that we can put our trust in you because you have shown us through your son that you truly provide all that we need. So as we come to the table, strengthen us, grace us, give us all that we need because of this week that we go on, the journey that is ahead, the wildernesses that we face. Lord, I pray that you would sustain us. You would feed us. 
You remind us that you provide all that we need because you are faithful, you are for us, and you love us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.